Holy Father in heaven, thank you Lord for giving us the privilege to be among the living today. We are very grateful Lord for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. Lord in heaven, our desire is that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that you will make us instruments by which your will will be done. Lord, make us living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto you that your glory may fill the earth through us. Therefore, Lord, we pray that this devotion will be a means by which your will will be done in our lives and that we may be lifted up to heavenly places. We ask, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Grant us understanding that we may rightly divide the word of truth. Impress on our hearts the truths you want us to learn. Put your words in my mouth, dear Lord, that it may speak life and light to all who listen. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, March 22 God sent him. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 The time for Israel's deliverance had come. But God's purpose was to be accomplished in a manner to pour contempt on human pride. The deliverer was to go forth as a humble shepherd with only a rod in his hand. But God would make that rod the symbol of his power. The divine command given to Moses found him self-distrustful, slow of speech and timid. He was overwhelmed with a sense of his incapacity to be a mouthpiece for God to Israel. But having once accepted the work, he entered upon it with his whole heart, putting all his trust in the Lord. God blessed his ready obedience and he became eloquent, hopeful, self-possessed and well-fitted for the greatest work ever given to man. This is an example of what God does to strengthen the character of those who trust him fully and give themselves unreservedly to his commands. A man will gain power and efficiency as he accepts the responsibilities that God places upon him and with his whole soul seeks to qualify himself to bear them aright. However humble his position or limited his ability, that man will attain true greatness who, trusting to divine strength, seeks to perform his work with fidelity. On the way from Midian, Moses received a startling and terrible warning of the Lord's displeasure. An angel appeared to him in a threatening manner, as if he would immediately destroy him. No explanation was given, but Moses remembered that he had neglected to perform the rite of circumcision upon the youngest son. In his mission to Pharaoh, Moses was to be placed in a position of great peril. His life could be preserved only through the protection of holy angels. But while living in neglect of a known duty, he would not be secure, for he could not be shielded by the angels of God. 
in the time of trouble just before the coming of Christ. The righteous will be preserved through the ministration of heavenly angels, but there will be no security for the transgressor of God's law. Angels cannot then protect those who are disregarding one of the divine precepts. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is God Sent Him. And our key text is taken from the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 10. And it says, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. As we have been looking at the life of Moses, we have seen how the Lord has uh, trained him and given him a better education to qualify him for the work that was going to be performed by him which well like we read now it was called the greatest work ever given to man in order for us to understand very carefully how important it is to be prepared for a work that the lord is giving to us today we need to go through the reading to understand it from the bible so we read now from exodus chapter 3 reading from verse 1 it says there now moses kept the flock of jethro his father-in-law the priest of midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed and Moses said I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now going to verse 9, it says, uh, before verse 9 from verse uh, 7 to 8 there God then explains to him how he had heard of the oppression in verse 9 he says now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Egypt and Moses said unto God who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am had sent me unto you. You see, Moses asked this because he knew that the long years of slavery had effaced from the minds of the children of Israel the knowledge of God. They didn't even know they had God some of them. Moses thought of the difficulties to be encountered of the blindness, ignorance and unbelief of his people, many of whom were almost destitute of a knowledge of God. Now going to Exodus chapter 4, reading the continuation of this account between Moses and 
God, it says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord had not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe all these two signs, neither hearken unto the, thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it unto dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who had made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God, and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Wow, what an experience. I wonder how Moses must have viewed that rod in his hand from henceforth, or whether he would have slept that night. Wonderful things had just taken place. A bush on fire, yet it is not burning. A voice coming from that bush. Wow. And this was just the beginning of the wonder. His rod changing to the snake. Moses had to even run away from the snake. This shows how afraid he was. His leprous hand and also was another wonder. Many, many thoughts would run through Moses' mind that night. The great work he was called to perform. Who is sufficient for these things? As we read in the devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 87, paragraph 3, it says, The divine command given to Moses found him self-distrustful, slow of speech, and timid. He was overwhelmed with a sense of his incapacity to be a mouthpiece for God to Israel. We have already seen it before that actually it was not that Moses could not speak well. The Bible tells us he was a man of great speech. He could talk, but the problem was 40 years away from Egypt, he could not speak the Egyptian language fluently anymore but though moses could speak eloquently but not the egyptian language he distrusted himself 
God dealt with his concerns. This self-distrust is actually very important. Having received a well-rounded education, it was now time for Moses to enter into the ministry for God. His trust was no longer in his education that he got in Egypt. Like before, when he thought that he was good enough for the job, now he wasn't feeling like he was good enough for the job. But now God was feeling and knew that Moses was good enough for the job. His trust was not in his education anymore, neither was it in self, but now in God. But that was not until God had spoken to him and addressed his fears. You see, self-distrust is a very important thing and dependence on God is very important. In John 15, John 15 from verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Have you felt that without God you can do nothing? Have you felt that there is no strength in yourself or do you feel like you have strength in yourself? Moses felt like he couldn't do anything by himself in this matter. He did not trust himself anymore. And God sought to assure Moses that all his fears would be dealt with and made provision by which they were all met. He addressed everything. But why did Moses think he was not qualified for the work? And also, why is it that self-distrust is very important? Those are the two things we are going to address in this devotion. Self-distrust, self-confidence, confidence in God and also distrusting God. And then we'll also look at why God knew that Moses was good enough for the job. You see, self-distrust should not lead us to reject responsibilities, but rather it should lead us to depend on God. Just because we do not see how we can accomplish a task, that is no excuse for us not to perform the duty that the Lord has been pleased to give to us. Moses hesitated to take up the duty given to him because he did not trust himself. And this is a good thing because self-confidence will make us ruin the work that the Lord has given us to perform. Self-confidence will reveal itself in a lack of prayer and a lack of study of God's word. The self-confident person does not ask God both for direction on what to do and therefore he does not study to find out what the will of God is. He is confident in his own ways, opinions, ideas and abilities. Therefore, he also does not ask God for strength to perform the task that he is doing. Since he is doing his work and not God's work, therefore he doesn't need strength from God. For if he was doing God's work and not his own work, he certainly will be filled with a sense of the heavy responsibility and ask that question, who is sufficient for these things? But alas, the self-confident person goes about his work prayerless and carelessly. Like King Saul, he will make a mess of it and when he suddenly meets a Goliath, since he has not made it a habit to trust in God, he will hide in his tent with his knees knocking because he sees that his strength cannot accomplish the work. How do you know when you are self-confident? You find out you don't pray and you don't also ask for direction to know how God wants a work to be done. That was how King Saul was, self-confident man. He doesn't want to know how God wants the work to be done. He just wants to go and do it so that he will get the glory to himself. And this was what God was trying to prevent with Moses. Do you remember when we did that? 
if Moses had done it his own way, the glory would have gone to him. But God will not have his work done that way, in a way that will bring glory to self. But God wanted to do the work in a way that would bring glory to both himself and even help Moses. Because man receiving exaltation, it does not help him. It will make him to be lost. But the way in which God wanted to do the work would help Moses and will also glorify God. Self-confidence does not pray. And again, I say self-confidence does not study God's word and does not align himself with what God says and his ideas and his opinions and God's methods. Do you remember how Moses did it before? He was following his own method. That was self-confidence. When we follow the word of God as it is written to the letter, that shows that you distrust self. You don't want to do it in your own method and your own way because you are not you are not sure that it will, it will work out. You trust in God's ways and God's methods. Therefore, you do it. You study the word of God, trying to find out every detail. What does the Lord say about this matter? And when you find it out, then what do you do? You ask for strength. In what contrast is the one who has confidence in God? He is self-distrustful. He is humble and meek, but yet full of confidence because he knows in whose strength he moves. He prays to know God's will and also studies to find it out and prays for strength to carry out that will and does carry it out in confidence. What confidence? The confidence that he who had called him is also faithful and will also perform it. Self-distrust is not cowardice. Self-distrust does not mean that somebody is not confident. It only means that they are confident in God but not in self. Self-distrust is not cowardice and humility is not shown by rejecting responsibilities that the Lord has called us to perform. There are some people who think that they are humble. When you give them work, they say, oh, no, 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 I can't do it, thinking that that is humility. To reject the work is another kind of self-confidence because the person knowing that God has strength will still not perform the work until he sees the strength in himself and not in God. That is until he is confident in himself, then he carries up the work. That humility that sees God's wonders and power and acknowledges his might but yet rejects to perform that task that God has been, has been pleased to give him, pleading that he is unworthy is just but an indignant form of self-confidence, pride and also a lack of faith in God's power. It's very easy to see someone working zealously for God and charge the person with self-confidence but this is not true of the person who is not following his own ways but the ways of God as directed in his word. This is not true of the one who is obeying a toss says the Lord when others refuse to do so. It is not true of he or she who prays for direction and strength and abides in Christ and confidently does what Christ has asked him to do. Just because the person is confidently doing it doesn't mean that the person is self-confident. He is confident in God. It is rather true that is the charge of self-confidence is rather true of the one who rejects the duty pleading meekness as an excuse or claiming unworthiness when will you ever be worthy this is the behavior of the man with the one talent who instead of using the talent given to him returns the talent what happened after everything reading from christ's object lessons page 362 paragraph one he says then he we he then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strewed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that. 
Thus, men excuse their neglect of God's gifts. They look upon God as severe and tyrannical. As watching to spy out their mistakes and visit them with judgments, they charge him with demanding what he has never given, with reaping where he has not sown. There are many who in their hearts charge God with being a hard master because he claims their possessions and their service. But we can bring to God nothing that is not already his. All things come of thee, said King David, and of thine own have we given thee. First Chronicles 29 verse 14 The master does not deny the charge of the wicked servant, unjust as it is. But taking him on his own ground, he shows that his conduct is without excuse. Ways and means had been provided whereby the talent might have been improved to the owner's profit. Thou oughtest, he said, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should have received my own with usury. Continuing the reading, it says, Our Heavenly Father requires no more nor less than he has given us ability to do. He lays upon his servants no burdens that they are not able to bear. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Psalm 103 verse 14. All that he claims from us, we through divine grace can render. Unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required. Luke 12 verse 48. We shall individually be held responsible for doing one jot less than we have ability to do. The Lord measures with exactness every possibility for service. The unused capabilities are as much brought into account as are those that are improved. For all that we might become through the right use of our talents, God holds us responsible. We shall be judged according to what we ought to have done, but did not accomplish because we did not use our powers to glorify God. Even if we do not lose our souls, we shall realize in eternity the result of our unused talents. For all the knowledge and ability that we might have gained and did not, there will be an eternal loss. Wow. Let that sink in. So when we are saying, no, I'm not going to take up this responsibility, you're actually charging God of calling you to do something that he has not given you power to do. Like the man with the one talent, you are saying that he's trying to reap where he did not sow. Why are you asking me to do something when you've not given me the ability to do that thing? That is the attitude of many who run away from doing the work that the Lord has been pleased to give to them to do, whether it is in ministerial labor or whether it is in the humble duties of life. I'll continue the reading now. It says, But when we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work, follow His directions. Remember, when you are not following God's directions, you are self-confident. When you are following His directions as it is written in His word, then that is dependence on God. That is self-distrust. When we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work, follow His directions, He makes Himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with the one who knows no failure. We should not talk of our own weakness and inability. This 
Some people think that when they are talking about their weakness and inability, there is humility. I continue to reading now. What is it when you talk of your weakness and your inability? What is it described as? I'm reading Christ Object Lessons, page 363, paragraph 2. We should not talk of our weakness and inability. This is a manifest distrust of God, a denial of His Word. When we murmur because of our burdens or refuse the responsibilities He calls upon us to bear, we are virtually saying that He is a hard master that he requires what he has not given us power to do. The spirit of the slothful servant, we are often fain to call humility. But true humility is widely different. To be clothed with humility does not mean that we are to be dwarfs in intellect, deficient in aspiration, and cowardly in our lives, shunning burdens lest we fail to carry them successfully. Real humility fulfills God's purposes by depending upon his strength. God works by whom he will. He sometimes selects the humblest instrument to do the greatest work. For his power is revealed through the weakness of men. We have our standard. And by it, we pronounce one thing, great and another small. But God does not estimate according to our rule. We are not to suppose that what is great to us must be great to God. Or that what is small to us must be small to him. It does not rest with us to pass judgment on our talents or to choose our work. We are to take up the burdens that God appoints, bearing them for his sake, and ever going to him for rest. Whatever our work, God is honored by a wholehearted, cheerful service. He is pleased when we take up our duties with gratitude, rejoicing that we are accounted worthy to be co-laborers with him. End of quote. I don't know if the point has been emphasized enough to understand what self-distrust really is. I'll say it again. Self-distrust does not mean rejecting responsibilities. Self-distrust does not mean a lack of confidence. Rather, it is a lack of confidence in self. But self-distrust is a confidence in God. Humility is a confidence in God. Humility means to take up the work the Lord has given you. It doesn't mean to run away from it. You think you are being meek and humble when the Lord is calling you to do a particular duty and then you say, oh no, I'm unworthy, I cannot do it. But that is your own pride that is showing. That is your self-confidence. You are waiting till you feel good about yourself before you can do something. You are waiting till you can see the strength in you. And then when you see the strength in you, will you need to depend on God again? No, you won't. But it is better for you not to see the strength in yourself so that you can lean on God. Pray for the strength so that God will supply it to you. And then ask for his directions and not follow your own ways in self-confidence. Following your opinions and your ideas of how to do the work. You see, this is the education Moses had received. He had learned to distrust self. Now, having said that, it is also important to note that even though we are to trust in God when we see that we are not qualified for a work, Nevertheless, we have to make preparations when we know that God has called us for a work. When we look at what happened to Moses after he accepted the work, an angel of the Lord came to slay him. Exodus chapter 4, reading from verse 24, says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him as he was on his way to Egypt with his wife and his children, and he slept in an inn. And on his way to the inn, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Verse 25 now. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband had thou to me. So he let him go. as the angel of the Lord let Moses go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. 
in our explanation to this reading from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 255, paragraph 5, we are told, Moses had failed to comply with the condition by which his child should be entitled to the blessings of God's covenant with Israel. And such a neglect on the part of the chosen leader could not but lessen the force of the divine precepts upon the people. In his mission to Pharaoh, Moses was to be placed in a position of great peril. His life could be preserved only through the protection of holy angels. But while living in neglect of a known duty, he would not be secure, for he could not be shielded by the angels of God. End of quote. What is the lesson here? We also, when called to do service for God, if we must have his protection, we must not leave any known duty undone. We must consecrate ourselves to God. That is, in this case now, circumcision, if you understand what it meant for the children of Israel, it was a thing that was brought into the family of Abraham that everyone in God's children, uh, in, in Israel, must circumcise. And because Moses had his children in in the land of the Midianites, he had not circumcised his last child. That was going to be a blow for, for Moses. How will people listen to him? What makes him an Israelite? It is that circumcision. And yet it was not done. So God wasn't going to permit a disregard of his word from one who is going to be a leader. So also with us. If we undertake the work, yes, we must be self-distrustful, but we must also perform every known duty. There shouldn't be something that we are putting in the front for people to see that we are violating one of God's laws. How then will we have the force to command? How then will our life be an example to command the people to do the work of God when we ourselves are living in violation of it? So, while we are self-distrustful and having confidence in God, we must also search ourselves and ensure that we follow every known duty. Now, to the other question, why was it that Moses felt that he was not ready for this work? Why did Moses think he was not qualified? You see, there are many who think, just like Moses, before or even at this time, because he needed convincing that he was qualified. But God knew he was qualified, and it's not for us to tell God that we are not qualified. Don't even go in that direction, because you are insulting God. If God tells you, do a work, and you tell him, I am not qualified for this work, you are actually trying to say to the Lord that he chose the wrong person, and that means he's not smart. That means he doesn't know what he's doing. If he calls you to do a work, then why are you rejecting it? If the Lord calls you to do a work, therefore the Lord has seen you and know that, knows that you can do it. So to tell him and advise him that you are not good enough for the job is actually to insult his intelligence. But what is it that makes many to think they are not ready for this work? There are many who think that they need some sophisticated training within the four walls of a school before they serve, not knowing that as they have been faithfully doing their morning devotions, studying their Bibles, seeking to help others, and doing the work that lies nearest. They have been receiving a training from God and qualifying themselves. Now, this thing should not be narrowed down to only the work of God. We are talking of even the work of God and secular labor. How do you know you are qualified for a work? How do you know what the Lord is training you for? Do the work that lies nearest. That qualifies you for the work that is coming next. Remember the life of Joseph. Joseph was not somebody working in the ministerial lines. He was working, he finally worked as the second in command in Egypt, prime minister. What qualified him for the work? Doing the work that lies nearest. Most, um, when, when Pharaoh called Joseph and said, you are going to be the one that will handle this whole duty. Joseph did not say, no, I cannot handle it. I am unworthy. But guess what? Whenever people God calls people for ministerial labor, that's when they start shouting, no, I cannot handle it. But when God gives them a, a work that is 
there's plenty money in it financially but oh they have confidence in self i can handle it but their eyes looking at the money that's where it is they will feel like they can handle it but when it comes to god's work oh everybody gets all humble oh i can't handle it i can't trust myself are you supposed to trust yourself in your secular labor too no work not just ministerial work even your temporal work whether you are a carpenter whether you're a doctor whether you're a lawyer whether you are a craftsman or you are a data scientist whatever it is you are in the IT department do not trust yourself without Christ you can do nothing many enter upon secular labor trusting themselves because they think they have received a training from the world well maybe you have indeed received a training but do not have confidence in training have confidence in God it is true the Lord takes us through various experiences in life and as you perform that known duty just as Joseph was doing everywhere he found himself he was doing his work diligently doing that work diligently was training him for the work the great responsibility that the Lord was going to place upon him later so it was with Moses he did not know that he was receiving training he's used to being in four walls of a school and then knowing that oh you sit down and then they dictate for you a note and then you say well I'm getting my training for the labor that's how it is that some people think that they cannot do God's work except they have gotten masters in divinity or doctorate in divinity and all of that Moses did not need any doctorate in divinity neither did he need any other qualification or call him a prof all he needed was the rod Moses education he received from God and let me read something about that education in signs of the times February 19 1880 starting from paragraph 11 it says this is Moses' education now it says with the wild mountains surrounding him alone with God Moses had a precious opportunity to learn himself to discern his pride and self-exaltation and to overcome the habits formed amid the luxury ease and indulgence of the court life the magnificent temples of egypt were no longer before his eyes impressing his mind with their superstition and falsehood amid the towering rocks and everlasting hills he could behold the evidences of the creator's greatness and majesty and power and contrasts with the insignificance of the gods of Egypt. Everywhere the Creator's name was written, Moses was surrounded with his presence and covered with his overshadowing glory. God himself was speaking to his servant through these mute representatives of his power. I'll continue to read it now, but do you know that Moses was actually filled with pride before? And he had self-exaltation. Many of us have understood that he did. But do you know that you also may also have that? We may have pride. I've not said this before, but in our education, there comes this pride. You know when you are offended that people don't call you doctor, or they don't call you barrister, or they don't call you uh, professor, or they don't call you engineer, and you feel offended that they didn't address you by engineer this, doctor, engineer that, professor this, this. That's pride. It's pride. Moses had it you may have it too when you think that it is your education from the world that qualifies you and you feel proud about it that you've done your masters that you've done your doctorate and now you're a professor or you've even done your bs or even if it's just YEC, whatever it is your high school diploma whatever those things are and you think that that's what qualifies you you see you need to unlearn it moses having 
being as a shepherd for a long time and within the rocks they were speaking to him he was comparing these things now with his certificate he was comparing the rocks and the mountains and the skies and the clouds and the trees and the nature lessons he was getting he was seeing the magnificence of god in these things and in comparison to his certificates in comparison to the courts of egypt beauty could not be compared the beauty of nature was far better he could see that all those things he prized in egypt were actually nothing and the god of egypt which is the god of our education today is actually nothing in comparison to what the lord has to offer we need to learn these lessons and renounce our pride renounce our self-exaltation that makes us think that because we have gone to school we are qualified for whatever work is given to us whether it's in ministerial labor or even in your secular labor do not think that it's your school that qualifies you to be a lawyer or to be a doctor that you can go and handle the surgical equipment and do the work it is not your school trust in the lord depend on him without him you can do nothing Moses had received his education, but he didn't know that he was ready. He was so self-distrustful. He did not know that the Lord had already trained him. So I want to go through that training that the Lord had given to him. He didn't regard it as training. He didn't know that that shepherd work he was doing was actually qualifying him for the work of delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. So I continue to read and says, The light of nature and that of revelation are from the same source, teaching grand truths and always agreeing with each other. As Moses saw that all God's created works act in sublime harmony with his laws, he realized how unreasonable it is for man to array himself in opposition to the law of God. The conflict was most trying. The effort long to bring heart and mind on all points in harmony with the truth and with heaven. I'll stop. And for us too, it might be so. We might be reading things in the word of God and to change our mindsets, to agree with the ways of God, it may be a very strong conflict. We will be looking at how God wants you to or coordinate your leadership, servant leadership, as opposed to the way the world wants you to do it, authoritarian leadership. And it's difficult for you to, to reconcile it and realize and change your ways. But yet, you must change if you must be ready to do the work for this time. So I continue the reading now. It says, but Moses was finally a victor. He came forth from the proving of God, mild in spirit, patient in temper, generous towards the erring, kind, reverent and humble, one of the meekest men in his intercourse with the world. Every child of God will have a similar experience. It is only after sore discipline and severe instruction that man, in obedience to Christ and heir of glory, can learn to wear divine honors with grace and dignity, becoming to his position as a member of the real family. Wow. So Moses finally graduated from school. Why? After he had learned all these lessons just listed out, the lessons of kindness, reverence, meekness, how was he able to learn it? By training those cows and goats and realizing the, 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 the tenderness he needed to manifest in taking care of them, the patience he had to have with them. He was now learning patience with men too, as opposed to his former pride. The work he was doing as a shepherd, what, what pride can you have in that? It was a humble work. He was cured of these things and finally, like we read now, this discipline and severe instruction and his obedience to Christ now gave him his own honors. He graduated with honors. And he also wrote his project, by the way. He says, 
the long years spent amid desert solitude were not lost. Not only was Moses gaining a preparation for the great work before him, but during his time, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Genesis and also the book of Job, which would be read with the deepest interest by the people of God until the close of time. End of quote. So, Moses at this time had already written two classics, the book of Job and the book of Genesis. He had been taught of God. These two books were his project, but they were wholly spiritual. It was not a carnal project he was doing. They were not done to show how much one knows, but these works were done to teach those around him about the one true God. He wrote these books to teach others. It was not because, oh, I must write project, therefore I'll write project. Mm -mm. It was a genuine work he did from his heart. Another thing that Moses was trained in was in training for prayer. Reading in paragraph 13 now of this same Science of the Times, February 19, 1888, it says, As year after year passed, and left the servant of God still in humble position, it would have seemed to one of less faith than he, as if God had forgotten him, as if his ability and experience were to be lost to the world. But as he wandered with his silent flocks in solitary places, the abject condition of his people were ever before him. He recounted all God's dealings with the faithful in ages past and his promises of future good. So you see, he's receiving his training. He's recounting the word of God. Okay, I continue. And his soul went out toward God in behalf of his brethren in bondage, and his fervent prayers echoed amid the mountain caverns by day and by night. He was never weary of presenting before God the promises made to his people and pleading with him for their deliverance. Those prayers were heard. Could his eyes have been opened, he would have seen the messengers of God, pure holy angels, bending lovingly over him, shedding their light around him, and preparing to bear his petition to the throne of the highest. Amen. End of quote. So, this is the training that Moses had. And when he saw himself self-distrustful, what did the Lord ask him? What is in thine hand? was God's question to Moses. God was pointing Moses to the education he had received as a shepherd. This rod was a symbol of his qualification. It was his certificate, that mere stick, that mere rod. Moses did not know that he had already received training and qualification from God and was actually ready for the work. But when he was ready, God called him. It is not in man's place to school God on who is worthy to do a work or not. If the Lord has laid a responsibility on you, don't school him. He knows who he is calling. He knows who he is calling. How do we know when the Lord lays a responsibility on us? And that's the question. The work that lies nearest, that is the work the Lord has laid on you. If someone comes to ask you a question, try to answer the person's question. If there's a duty to be done around you and your eyes has been opened to see it, it is God who opened your eyes to see it. Therefore, find out how that work can be done. It doesn't mean that you must be the one that, that does all the work. In Moses' case, you saw how he did his work. He worked with elders, he worked with his brother Aaron and all of that. So also, when we see a responsibility, it doesn't mean that God is saying that you must do everything in and out. No. You are. You have found it out. Find a way to, to ensure that that work must be done, whether in the secular labor or in the spiritual things. If the Lord has laid a burden on your heart, if you have been called for example, somebody calls you and says, I, I want you to help me do this thing. You feel like you cannot do it. But then you can actually find out how to get that job solved. It may not be you who does the work, but you can actually find a way it should be done. Or it may be you who actually does it in the sense of carrying out the responsibility directly. 
whatever work comes to us that we are called to do. As far as that work is something that must be done, therefore, let us do it. So we have learned the lesson of self-distrust, confidence in God, self-confidence also, which we should not have, and pride. And we've also seen how we can carry out the work of God, the education that we must receive, the one which Moses received. And it is not one that comes from self-confidence. No, it is not. Remember what we read before in Conflict and Courage, page 83, paragraph 5. It says, Many who are seeking efficiency for the exalted work of God by perfecting their education in the schools of men will find that they have failed of learning the more important lessons which the Lord will teach them by neglecting to submit themselves to the impressions of the Holy Spirit. By not living in obedience to all God's requirements, their spiritual efficiency has become weakened. By absenting themselves from the school of Christ, they have forgotten the sound of the voice of the teacher and he cannot direct their course. Men may acquire all the knowledge possible to be imparted by the human teacher, but there is still greater wisdom required of them by God. Like Moses, they, we, must learn meekness, lowliness of heart and distrust of self. Our Savior himself, bearing the test for humanity, acknowledged that of himself he could do nothing. We must also learn that there is no strength in humanity alone. Man becomes efficient only by becoming a partaker of the divine nature. And what does that mean? End of quote. And what does that mean? It means, like we read, two things. One, submit to the impression of the Holy Spirit. And two, live in obedience to all of God's requirements. That is how we qualify ourselves. We also may be qualified like Moses if we will live a life following all of God's requirements. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, please teach us self-distrust. Help us, Lord, to have dependence and confidence in you. Help us also to know the work that you are calling us to do, whether in the secular lines or the spiritual labor, that we may carry it out confidently. Forgive us for the times we have manifested that kind of humility that rejects responsibilities. Forgive us for the pride even in doing that and trying to school you and tell you who is worthy for a work and who is not. Forgive us for our selfishness when we grab the secular works and feel worthy to do them. But then, when it comes to the course of God, we pretend as if we are humble and meek and then we leave the responsibilities we ought to do that you've called us to do. Forgive us for these things, Lord. For those who are listening, they are trying to find out what does the Lord want me to do, Lord. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, impress on their hearts what you want them to do and show them from your word, please, the requirements and the things they need to obey, the work that is there for them to do. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.